Will you open God's precious holy word to Deuteronomy chapter 5? Now my Bible, come, it's, it's the Hebrew, but, and I'm in 17 and 18, but it's the same thing as verses 19 through 21, I think, in most translations. So if you try to look at verse 17 and it looks like I've already covered, it look, doesn't look right, you're in verses 19 through 21. I think I'm right on that. Respect for property and truth. How special is it for Moses to be strengthened in his life, though he knows he's at the end of it, to lay these foundational principles included in them a repeat of the Ten Commandments, which is where we are uh, in our study in Deuteronomy. But to remind them how certain parts of history don't need to be repeated because it angered Yahweh and it brought judgment. Now he's going to end this way on down the line when we get there toward the end of it. Uh, the two mountains, the blessings and the cursings, he'll end it with, with that. And it's just a, in his three lectures to this young generation of Israelites about to cross the Jordan River and go into Canaan, it is, it is his final work as their leader to make sure that's why it's called Deuteronomy. It's the second time around. To make sure that they are prepared in their hearts to lead lives. And it starts individually, goes to the family, and then from there that affects all of the nation, of course. To lead their lives in close connection with the Word of God that they might do all that they can do as far as they can do it to please God. And so we've come now to the final of the Ten Commandments tonight. And it's the part that teaches respect for property and uh, for truth. The ten com obedience to the Ten Commandments is impossible. From birth till death, you will not live your life undefeated regarding obedience to the Ten Commandments. You're going to disrespect your parents. It's just built in us. It's, that's, that's rebellion. It's built in us as a fallen race. And so the purpose we're taught in Galatians especially, but we're taught in the New Testament that the purpose of the Ten Commandments is to show us God's perfect holy standard for human behavior. Now, we, we fail. It is very hard to stop a thought. I don't, know, I don't know if you can. How do you know if you stop a thought? <laughs> you won't know, I don't guess, if you stop a thought, Right? So we're looking at one particular commandment here that surely will hit everybody in between the eyes tonight. But it's not just that. It's, uh, it's, it's, there, there are those who, um, 
disobey the command to keep the Sabbath holy. And they do all they can do to make it holy, but some, some, some circumstance happens, an incident occurs, they have to do something that according to the pharisaical, uh, the, in, the, in the mission of the, 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 the ways they define a Sabbath and disobedience to that particular commandment, several hundred ways, as I recall, that a person could break that commandment. That's according to man-made uh, definition that comes out later. But it was the, the, the oracles of those things, the writings and the mindset of those things already in existence at the time of Christ. And then it becomes an official thing sometime later. But having said that, still, there's no greater moral compass for a society or a culture than the Ten Commandments. So naturally, anyone, well, especially born-again Christians with a, with a sensitivity to righteousness, would want to, in this life, uh, would want to do his best to be obedient to these Ten Commandments. Now, I think that at this point in time, researchers could take real data, not, not imagined data, but data based on Ten Commandment moral principles as defined in the Bible, could take that data and could look at the history of the United States of America, for example. And um, could prove that a departure from an attempt to try to obey the moral principles of the Ten Commandments, an attempt to do that and then a departure from it is damaging to that culture. Many times the damage is irreversible. There are probably other examples in history. Well, sure, there would be, you could take Great Britain, for example. Our, the, the forerunners of who we are, well, a lot of people these days won't agree with that, but you have to go back to colonial history, right? And uh, the importance of the word of God and the propagation of the gospel to those who had charters to come over to our nation, well, to the new world. And part of what was written in their charter was to, uh, to establish a ministry for the propagation of the gospel of Jesus Christ to reach those who were already here and to honor uh, the word of God, God and his word and so forth. You have to take some time, sometime, read some of those original charters um, and what their intent was when they came. <clears throat> what that says to us is When the new world through the colonies became established <coughs> into a nation, Declaration of Independence, Constitution, and so forth, the foundational principles of the, of, of the establishment of this nation were biblical principles. Now, people will 
spit and snort and stomp and try to but that's the way that it was I, I my first dissertation my first doctorate I I was deep into that the history of our nation and the comparison of the drift morally and spiritually of the United States and compared it to the northern kingdom of Israel and I learned a lot about the early part of our history, things that even in my day they wouldn't put in the history books. For example, uh, you couldn't teach school unless you were a professing Christian and actively involved with a local Christian church. Couldn't do it. There was no way they'd let you teach school. That's just a case in point. Um, So the church, the local church, life in the church, those things were very important. And the establishment of moral principles was a foundational characteristic in the colonies in the founding of, of this particular nation. Now this is this this is Israel. It's it's a it's still at this point it would be a theocracy. And as they go across God, through Moses, is instructing the people in the importance of the Word of God, the importance of failed history, where the, their fathers had failed and had brought and had incurred the wrath of God. Don't want to do that again. The importance of the Ten Commandments. These are things that are important. These, they have to get this start if they're going to be the kind of nation that they need to be. So now, finishing out the Ten Commandments, national identity, uh, moral principles, these things finish out here by, from heaven through the Ten Commandments, expressing that God's highest standard is that we have respect for the property of others and that we have respect for truth. All right, so let's look at it. Deuteronomy 5. We've already, we've already covered you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery. So we're now to the next one. I'm going to read these just straight on, and then I'm going to make some points uh, that are important for us to absorb. You shall not steal, and you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, nor shall you desire your neighbor's house, his field, his manservant, his maidservant, his ox, his donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. All right, so I'm going to just cover these things and we'll look at them together. Here are things that I've put together that we should reflect on. New nation getting started. Foundational foundational moral principle, stealing is prohibited. Now the verb here, ganab, is used, is used of stealing property, but the command is much broader in its focus. We'll talk about that here. Issues, for example, kidnapping. Kidnapping, and that's over in Deuteronomy 24-7. God willing, we'll get there someday as well as stealing intangible things. 
such as the dignity of a person, the self-respect or freedom or rights of an individual are all important. It isn't just, and these, this is a summary of what is brought out as a point in the Old Testament later on. Uh, you, can, you can steal a person's uh, reputation uh, and, and it's a theft. It's, it's something that, uh, that should have never happened. You know, I got, um, I got a call. Now this will shake you up. I got a call. This has been several, this has been some years ago, eight, 10 years ago. I got a call from the internal revenue service. I mean, this is like, you know, Michael, the archangel is angry and he's on the phone. You know, it's, it's, that's how you feel. Hello. Is this yada, yada, yada? Yeah. You're middle night. Yeah. You're verify who I am. Said uh, you're going to have to go. And it's in Florence. The social security office is in Florence that I had to go to. You're going to have to go to Florence. We have you an appointment. Your identity has been stolen. And there have been two fraudulent tax returns. One of them, you're getting back about $6,000. The other one, you're getting back about, I don't ever get the money back. I'm a preacher. You, you don't know what you're going to have to pay till the end of the year because everything is just, you know, up in the air. You have expenses and all this stuff. And the other one was, I was going to get back $9,000. And I'm shaking this, you know, what am, I, what, what, what am I doing? So I had this appointment to go and meet with a person at a, at a social security district office or something in Florence. And I went. Well, then I began to dig into this. I thought, well, this is unnerving to me. And um, I discovered that I had applied for a a loan of about $13,000 somewhere in Kansas. I had applied for another loan somewhere in Florida for about $4,000. Thank God they were denied. And so I, now I'm really sweating, you know, and I'm thinking I have to figure this out. And I bought the service LifeLock and I did, I called the credit bureaus and I clamped down. I just shut that thing down. I don't, I don't need credit. I don't care about it. Just, just shut it down. Don't take anybody's word but mine. And if I have to give you a, a 38 syllable password, I will. But you know, this is, I did all I could do. But I discovered that uh, I was diminished to an extent in my reputation. I didn't even know it. I didn't know this was going on. I think, and now I can't, I can't send in a tax return for the rest of my life without a PIN number. And I get a new one every year. Uh, so this is something that I'll deal with the rest of my life. A pin, I can't do anything. Of course, I get it pretty early in January, the PIN number. Uh, and that's a very secret number, you know. Give it to my tax guy. It affected me. It'll, it obviously continues to affect me. I'm keeping this lifelock thing. If there was something better, I'd probably get it. I get notices every once in a while. We discovered your username and password on the dark web. 
What in the world is the dark? That sounds sinister to me. What am I, am I buying prostitutes or something? What is this? Dark web. I learned that phrase from LifeLock. So I read the report, you know, and I have to go back and change usernames and passwords where they had been discovered. Some of them were very old. Passwords that I didn't use anymore. But I have to keep a look on this thing and I have to, I have to respond immediately when LifeLock sends me something. Uh, they usually email me and I have an app and it has a little thing that shows me I have a message and I think, oh shoot, what is it now? And I go and dig into it. But you see, somehow I'm being portrayed as somebody that I'm not. Why can't somebody write a wonderful book on redemption or justification and do it in my name? Why can't they do the good thing, you know, and me get credit for it? No, it's always the bad stuff. That's theft. Now I'm getting emails about how my deed can be robbed. My home ownership or whatever. People are stealing people's deeds and all this information is online and they can get it and then they can take out big loans against your house and you're left holding the bag and, and uh, they got the money. Uh, well, anyway, I'll worry about that tomorrow. Me and Scarlett O'Hara because tomorrow is another day. Theft of dignity, self-respect, freedom, your rights. These are important things. And that's actually, that could, be, that could come under this, this generalized verb of ganab in the, in the Hebrew. Too, you shall not steal. You don't do this. Now there's a synonym for that word. Well, let me go back up. Uh, also, the word is used in the sense of cheating someone. Um, well, let's go back to the tax return. You lie on your tax return. You cheated. Well, you stole from somebody, right? Um, uh, I don't know. A fraudulent business expense. Uh, anything. Cheating. The same word is used for cheating. Now, another word used for stealing is a synonym to Ganabin, it is Ghazal. And it, it appears especially in connection with exploiting the poor. Proverbs 22 says, do not rob the poor because he's poor. That same word is used of rulers and judges who deprive poor people of their justice. Okay. And this, in the scriptures, this is one of the final signs of the collapse, of the impending collapse of a society. When, when judges and magistrates become crooked. So here in the Bible, it's used of rulers and judges who mistreat poor people, take away their stuff because somebody else wants it that is a friend of the judge or the judge is scared of or whatever. There's a warning against it. That is stealing. That's the same thing. The synonymous word here in the Old Testament, that's stealing. 
Uh, and we read in the, in the scriptures, woe to those who decree iniquitous decrees and the writers who keep writing oppression to turn aside the needy from justice and to rob the poor of my people of their right. That's in Isaiah. Woe to those. And Isaiah is preaching to a failing culture, uh, namely the southern kingdom in the time of Hezekiah. Things get repaired for a little while. We studied this not too long ago. Things get repaired for a little while, but finally it collapses because that Pandora's box was already opened. Um, So the biblical understanding of a robber includes officials who are responsible for the poor who are not receiving justice. Justice is blind. It's equal. The The scales are supposed to be balanced regardless. So it begs the question, are we in a culture? Are we in a society where we even, we even in the slightest way imagine that there is some kind of inequity and justice? If there is, that's stealing and it's also a very dangerous sign for that particular uh, society or culture. Ezekiel says that a righteous person does not oppress anyone, but restores to the debtor his pledge, commits no robbery, gives his bread to the hungry, and covers the naked with a garment, uh, does not lend at interest or take any profit, withholds his hand from injustice, executes true justice between man and man. There was a law, there's a rule, there's a law in Israel that you don't take interest from another Israelite. It's, it's not illegal to take interest on a loan. But in the, in the national sense and in the sense of the, of the brotherhood and kinship of Israel, they were not to do that. Uh, there was a law, uh, a, there, there was a, a mandate against it in the Old Testament. Um, and that's a quote from Ezekiel chapter 18. And the Bible gives us stories of how some people have become rich by pouncing on people who were vulnerable and they would use that weakness to acquire more wealth. So there's a, a disparity between a ruling class or an elite class and everybody else. Because in doing this, all the rules are erased and they can just do whatever they want to do at the expense of these people down here. And this, of course, is the great warning that comes. Obviously, we're looking at it not just from Deuteronomy in two places, what we're looking at tonight in chapter 24, but in Proverbs, Isaiah, Ezekiel, I don't have all the other ones listed. That would be here all night. The warnings against the various ways that people can steal. Very important to the strength of a society. Now, a different, using a different Hebrew word was in Malachi 3.8, God's people are told that those who don't give their tithes are robbing God. So in the sense of Israelites giving to the storehouse in the temple, which is, it's a, it's a different thing than when you think of it today. Uh, you know, they were told to give tithes on this kind of grain and tithes on this kind of flock and tithe, 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 tithe on everything. And that's fine. I think, I think the basis of giving 
for a Christian ought to be a tithe. I think that ought to be the basis, but, but it's giving gracious, giving out of grace in the New Testament. Now, let me ask you this. If you compare grace with the law, which one gives more? <laughs> well, of course, grace. Now, that said, for the Israelites, there was a different word, a special word that came through the prophet telling the people that those who didn't give their tithes were thieves. They were stealing from God. Now, interestingly, there is no death penalty for stealing other than man stealing or kidnapping. And that's in Deuteronomy 24 as well. The refusal here to impose the death penalty for stealing, unlike other commands, reflects the scale of values in which human life is immeasurably higher value than property. For example, we have a, we have a castle doctrine in the state of Alabama. Castle doctrine is if somebody crashes into your house and obviously he wouldn't be there unless he had ill will and in bad intentions, the castle doctrine says you can use lethal force when he crashes into your house. Now, if he pulls his truck up to your outbuilding and he's taking your tools and he's loading up your four-wheeler, you don't have the right to go out there and kill him for that. That's the castle doctrine, but it follows the biblical principle, which is this. Human life is different from property. So, so here, except for kidnapping, there is no death penalty for stealing uh, in, in the scriptures as we understand it here. Uh, so the refusal then reflects the biblical truth of the value of human life which is greater than the value of property, tangible or intangible. However, theft is severely condemned in the Bible. Several times it's presented as an example of a serious sin. The law about stealing is included in a summary statements listing three or four commands in the New Testament. Mark 10, Romans 2, and Romans 13. Also, thieves are included in the list of the wicked who will not enter the kingdom of God. That's in 1 Corinthians 6. It's a serious sin. Jeremiah speaks of the disgrace of a thief when he's caught. We're warned about being companions of thieves as well, for such a person will not escape. Now let's move from there to false witness. This command most particularly looks at the most serious kind of lying, which is perjury, or lying under oath in a court of law. That is in the context of the language that is used. But the courts are one of the key institutions aiding in a nation's restraining evil and promoting good. When corruption enters that process, that particular nation is on a, on a, a weak foundation the seriousness of the crime of perjury is evidenced by the fact that those who commit it will suffer the same punishment that the victim would have suffered if he or she had been condemned. That's in Deuteronomy 19. God willing, we'll get there before too long. We could also extend this law 
to include the prohibition of making formal or even informal accusations about people within the church and in society at large because a false witness is a false witness. You can bear false witness against people and it really goes back to the stealing of a reputation or something. Um, To bear false witness doesn't strengthen anything. It only weakens the society, especially when it is allowed to run rampant in a court of law, to lie about someone who is accused of something um, and, and to bear false witness. It carries, it, it, it carries a serious connotation uh, with it. Finally, ending this part, covetousness versus contentment. You shall not covet. It moves here now from actions to attitude. You can't see covetousness. You see, it's an attitude. It's something that you think. So be very, without, without a confession, be very difficult to prove. I'm coveting that. You know, you, you don't hear people say that. It's in the heart. It's a sin of the heart. Those who break it are usually not found out. Therefore, they're not prosecuted unless the attitude triggers an illegal action. But this particular commandment presents a religion of the heart, an action of the heart. That's why I said at the outset, how, can you, how do you stop a thought? There's a list of things that the people are not supposed to covet. And it just about includes everything in the household of another. Not, not, his, not his wife, his family, his, his belongings, his, anything that he uses or he needs, anything that's his. You can't covet it. Not at all. You're not supposed to, you're not supposed to have this desire because this desire, when it's left unchecked, obviously will grow into this illegal action. Uh, that's mentioned here. After prohibiting, as I just said, the coveting of persons and property, the command goes on to list the possessions of others. And the main reason that people covet, and this is what we should all take to heart, the main reason that people covet is that they are not content with what they have, not even with actually who they are. Our responsibility is to be thankful for whatever we have, to know that it came from God. Now, it might be different from what someone else has because someone else may have greater needs or greater responsibilities or, or whatever. That's just not our business. That's not our business. To pray for our needs, to have faith that God will fulfill our needs, and to be thankful for whatever God provides. Paul writes in the New Testament, He said, I have learned how to abound and I have learned how to be abased. And I have learned that in whatsoever state I am in therewith to be content. So there were times when Paul, (laughs) there were times when the tent making business was good. There were times when everything was taken away from him and he was thrown in jail. But he had learned contentment, to be content in life. This is a, 
This is a, a great victory in the lives of believers to find ourselves in the place of life where we are content with what, has given, what, God, what God has given to us. So now, these 10 commandments go together to form a strong foundation for a culture, a nation, a people of great promise who are being entrusted as God's people with the land of promise, the land of Canaan. But there are a lot of lessons here for us to learn as well. Let's pray. We'll be dismissed. Father God in heaven, thank you for your word, how it applies to our lives. Oh, Lord, we pray. Teach us to hide your word in our hearts that we may not sin against you. In Jesus' name, amen.